We are going to take you on an amazing journey while you will, where you will learn how to come home and how to become a partner to life. So healing the centuries-old wound of separation is not an easy thing, but it can be achieved in seconds. First comes understanding, and then the breaking of old habit patterns. Understanding is an inside job. Breaking patterns takes community. I'll be sharing my story and the resources that got me here, both from science, indigenous wisdom, and systems thinking. I'm committed to creating an entire generation of regenerative leaders, and you may be one. You are welcome to DM me at any time. If you want to go deeper, then joining the Coming Home Project community as you learn to live regeneratively would be a good thing. The shift is as easy as shifting from living on the planet to living with the planet. Easy to say and much harder to do. But life loves life. So there's nothing to fear, just old thought patterns and habits to change. So join me as we explore the wonderful, amazing biology of life and how that changes everything. Let's get started. Ethics of living. What an interesting topic, don't you think? So deep ecology said, this is a book by that name, conscience and consciousness, how instructive the overlapping similarity of those two words is. From the new consciousness we are gaining of ourselves as persons, perhaps we will yet create a new conscience one that is, eth that is ethical sensitivity at least turned to a significant good and a significant evil. That's Theodore Rozak, who is one of my heroes. Another quote from Deep Ecology. We believe that humans have a vital need to cultivate ecological consciousness and that this need is related to the needs of the planet. At the same time, humans need direct contact with the untrammeled wilderness, places of undomesticated for narrow, places undomesticated for narrow human purposes. That was George Sessions, one of the authors of that book in 1985. They're calling it ecological consciousness. I'm calling it planetary consciousness. It's exactly the same thing. And it is so direly needed but it's available. That's the good news. It is available. So they talked about being in untrammeled wilderness, wilderness without people. It's a very interesting concept, actually, and I am not so sure that it's actually correct. If we really look, there has never been for... Uh, I guess, five million years or so, an earth without humans or a nature without humans. Those humans that learned to live with the earth enriched it, shaped it, 
made it flourish. And America was an incredible example of that. When you think back of what those first pilgrims saw, it was vibrant, lush, filled with more plants and animals than they had ever seen before. They wrote back these glowing pictures of how beautiful America was. And then they proceeded to destroy it. Because the people who came here from Europe were not centered on Earth. They were centered on humans. And so they used what they found to serve themselves. Now, everything serves itself. <laughs> That's what it means to be alive, is to figure out how to make your life possible. So that means getting around those challenges and taking advantages of those opportunities. But other animals on the planet take what they need, they don't hoard, and they do so in a way that actually serves. That's one of the major wisdoms we're getting from the indigenous community. How interrelated nature and humans are. And old growth forests, those forests that have been around for centuries usually, or more, are those forests that have learned how to cooperate. All of the selves, all of the individual plants, animals, viruses, bacteria, scorpions, centipedes, all of those critters have learned to cooperate. So they get what they need and they make sure that others have the same opportunity. They don't deny them what they need. So there's much that we can learn. And for me, this is the heart of planetary consciousness. This is what we're talking about, going forward into a new state where we take what we have learned and who we are and the knowledge we've gained from being separate and combine that, integrate that with the knowledge we need to acquire about being connected. So some of this technology will drop away. Some of the wonderful things we have will drop away. Certainly the way in which we live will drop away. But it will be a much richer place in the end because we're connected, because we're keeping life alive. I can't imagine why we wouldn't want to do that. So how do we understand nature? This is a picture of Robin Wall Kilmer in one of her classes where she's in the forest talking to people about the plants, who they are and what they can do. So we understand nature now through gardening and through cultivating. And I am holding cultivating as different from gardening because that's what Robin Wall Kilmer and her relatives are doing is cultivating, picking and choosing, supporting those plants that we care about, that nurture us. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but we aren't killing those that don't serve us. That's the problem because they serve someone else, maybe not us, but that means that they need to be there for reasons we may not even understand. So cultivating is fine, really supporting those things that we want. And gathering, gathering the offerings that are there, learning and discovering new capacities in the wonderful world around us that we can use to our advantage. But we're not eliminating other things that maybe we don't see a need for, or that even we don't like, <laughs> or that even could be harmful if we ate. We don't eliminate those things because they serve others. Forest bathing, just being out in the forest and absorbing the wonderful joy of life that so permeates nature. And understanding kin. Our relationship to these plants and animals and bugs and things that they are there, that they are part of us, part of our lineage, part of our heritage, part of the life that we also are. And therefore, just as worthy of existence as we are. And they are contributing in their own way, just as we will learn to. How do we understand nature? Through meditation. Forest bathing is a kind of meditation, an open eye of awareness, sensitivity awareness meditation. And meditation can certainly teach us a ton. It allows us to quiet our own thoughts enough to be able to listen to the voices of others and immersing ourselves. I know people who have gone to live in the wilderness, in nature, for many months at a time or years even. And certainly that kind of immersiveness is incredibly instructive. You learn so much about how to do things, why to do things, when to do things, and what things serve you, what things help you, what things are necessary, what things are luxuries. And observing just sitting and watching nature. That's how most of the indigenous wisdom came, is through immersion and observation. Paying attention, spending time, just looking, noticing, beginning to understand the patterns and the relationships that show up. And it's those relationships that are so instructive. Being in nature is really about a non-linear time. It's not about five minutes or 10 minutes. It's about hours and days. And you don't interrupt that time for lunch. You eat when you're hungry, but you don't say, oh, it's 11.30, time to have lunch. You just sit there and be in that space and watch and notice what's happening. So nature truly helps us step out of time. I learned something very interesting about time, which I did not know, that a lot of it was actually the creation of 
a particular abbey in Europe because they created a bell and the first clock to call the monks to worship and to control the day for the monks so that they got everything in that they were supposed to do. That speaks volumes. We see time is linear. It's from past through the now into the future. And it's very much about control. We want to know what time it is. We want to know when we're going to get together, when things are going to happen. It's very directional. The arrow of time goes one way from past to future. So there's really no now. It just kind of slips through, you know. Now's like quicksilver. It's here and then gone. And it keeps the tangible alive because it keeps us tied to the tangible parts of our environment that we see and interact with. But nonlinear time is very different. It's all about flow. It's not about the specific hours and minutes and days and weeks and months. It's about flow and cycles. Everything seems to be present at once. You can see the past in the present, and you can see the future being born in the present. And there is only now. But it gives you a connection to everything that was and everything that will be. And nonlinear time brings the intangible alive. So I see this as one of the really big changes we'll be undergoing. Literally stepping out of time. But not entirely, because there are certainly places where time is useful. It's nice to know that if you appear at a certain time in a certain place, you're going to see someone. Haranguing them for being late, however, may not be really necessary. And it's possible that we could know that we'll meet someone in a certain place. We just have to be there. So we go and wait and let them show up in their own time. I think there is a both and here that we can learn to dance with. And the key for me is, is it life enhancing? Does it make my life richer, better, more robust, more joyful? And choose the time that does that. How do we understand nature? Some people, me included, talk to plants and trees. It's much harder to listen. And I can really vouch for that. Trees can transmit some things very easily. But when you get into to names in particular, it is a foreign language. <clears throat> but you have to trust yourself to be able to talk to trees. They don't have mouths, you know. They don't have voices like we do. But they do have consciousness. They do have sentience. And they can speak very eloquently through pictures or feelings or ideas that come through. But you have to trust yourself when you hear it. And sometimes you can see the sprites within 
using your third eye. There is a marriage, I guess, or a relationship between trees and spirits or sprites. Elemental beings that love to live in trees. And you can spot those trees that have those elemental beings because they're just vibrant, beautiful, mostly specimens of themselves. It's not always true. That's not always true because in especially in our world, trees sometimes have a very hard life and they can be really beaten up. But their strength very much comes from the sprites. We have no understanding or respect for that relationship and would cause so much unnecessary pain in the way that we treat the trees around us. We cut them down for no reason. We never tell them what we're doing. It's a surprise to them because it's totally outside of their understanding of what should happen. It makes no sense to them. And I've seen some sprites grieve deeply, 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 deeply for losing their life. It's been very sad. I've heard of trees where it's taken centuries for them to want to come back because their life was interrupted. Can you imagine being on the planet for a thousand years and suddenly you're gone? You're fine, you're healthy, everything's okay. But somebody has cut you down. What a shock, what a sadness. So how do we understand nature? Do we see it for the living selves they are? But none of this is possible. That is the poverty of our current world, that none of this is supported. It's all weird and strange and ignored or dismissed, discarded. Talked about as though it wasn't of any value whatsoever. And the reason I believe is because that value would prevent us from doing some of the things we're doing. That's exactly the point. When you're in right relationship with the things around you, when you respect the life that is so abundant and close, then there are just things you can't do. You can't cut down a thousand-year-old tree. You just can't. You would get the wood you need from smaller, younger trees. That old age carries so much wisdom, so much knowledge. It needs to be here. We don't need to take that. We can use younger, less experienced trees and tell them what we're doing and thank them for their contribution. This is not new. This way of seeing is not new, but we have so discarded it and we have to bring it back to be in connection. We're talking about ethics. We're talking about right relationships. We're talking about living well on the planet, lightly on the planet. How do you do that? These are some of the ways. 
Let's talk about food. Food is a sacrament. It is such a sacrifice for so many to make our life possible. And I want to read a poem. It's called The Song of Taste. Eating the living germs of grasses, eating the ova of large birds, the fleshy sweetness packed around the sperm of swaying trees, the muscles of the flanks and thighs of soft-voiced cows, the bounce in the lamb's leap, the swish of the ox's tail, eating roots grown swole inside the soil, drawing on life of living, clustered points of light spun out of space, hidden in the grape, eating each other's seed, eating, oh, each other, kissing the lover in the mouth of bread, lip to lip. That is Gary Snyder, written in 1970. He was luxuriating in the interbeing and the intercreation that happens all the time in life, that is what life is. The exuberance of life that is shared with the other. I'd like to share another few thoughts from Andreas Weber. Life wants to live on, wants more of life, wants to expand, to swell, and to blossom, wants to propagate itself and rise again in a thousandfold manners. Life wants to be subject in an empathetic way. The other side is the want for the presence of other beings in which the subject recognizes itself, a yearning for the others, which it can love in order to grow. That's from The Biology of Wonder, written in 2016. Both of these men were able to luxuriate in the juiciness of life and in the fierceness at the same time. We shy away from the luxury and only hold on to the fierceness. I have no idea why but it impoverishes our life to a very great extent. When I think of those creatures that have been on the planet way longer than we have, so I'm thinking whales and dolphins and sharks, they do not fight. They do not do damage. They eat, absolutely, but that eating is so important. The abundance that is on this planet must be eaten. It must be available, that huge fertility ensures that all life has something to eat. The phrase that these seeds must never reach maturity is absolutely true. The earth could not bear all of that abundance coming into fruition. 
just not possible. So there has to be a death to make room for what's coming through because life is constantly doing new things. So that cycle of birth and death is integral to food. We all eat the life of another. To be grateful for that, to acknowledge that, to respect our dependence on that and the sacrifice that that is, to acknowledge the offering of life for life is something we have lost. So in reestablishing that connection, there are ways to do that. And again, this is not new. This is old stuff we're bringing forward. Saying grace, thanking, appreciating, respecting, being grateful for what we have is something everyone can do. It slows you down. It takes you out of time. It reconnects you. When, it, when it's done from the heart and not as a thing we've memorized and say as fast as we can so we can eat. <laughs> but something that we actually maybe create each time we sit down. To thank those beings that have contributed to the continuation of our own life. Making offerings. These rituals signify our appreciation and our gratitude. They slow us down. They reconnect us to life. Pouring water as an appellation. If I said that correctly. I've heard of Native people who, in the morning, with the first cup of coffee, pour some of that out on the ground as a way of honoring nature. First thing. These simple rituals reconnect us. I want you to think about your daily life. I'll bet it's just, there's an incredible amount of resistance to stopping to do any of this. How are you going to fit it in? And the tempo is so different. I mean, you can make it fast, but then it's meaningless. So to infuse meaning takes time. It takes, yes, a few minutes out of the day. But not minutes that will ever be missed. You'll never even notice it once you get into the habit. These are ways we can begin to reconnect. Ethics is a living thing. It's not a set of rules that sit outside in a book that you go refer to to make sure you're doing the correct thing. It's a way of understanding right relationship with all life, everywhere that life shows up, in whatever form it shows up, to be appropriate and respectful. It takes time to bring that forward again in us. It's there. I mean, it's why we go hiking, you know? It's why we sit by the beach or watch a sunset, because those moments touch us. You can't enjoy a sunset by looking out and going, oh, yeah, it's pretty, and then you go back to do something else. you got to pause. <laughs> you got to take time to take it in. 
to really savor that sunset. So stepping out of time is something we can practice all the time as a way of bringing us back into connection. Rituals. Giving the gift of liquid, whether it's water or milk or coffee, but reflecting back on the gift that we've given. Being alive means stepping out of time. It means being connected. It means being engaged in the messy succulence of life. The exuberance and joy that life expresses at every turn. Recognizing that. Appreciating that. Really understanding the cleverness of life to live. How difficult the incredible number of decisions and choices that every living thing of whatever stripe or kind has to make continuously, thousands and thousands of times a day in order to stay alive, to thrive and prosper. The sentiments that we have dismissed for so many centuries is astonishing. The capacity of life to live is thrilling. And we should be humbled by the wisdom of those who are our elders, who have spent way more time figuring out how to be joyful and alive on this planet than we have. There are many lessons we can learn there. And to do that means we become free. But it also means we have to work right now in this day and age and time to become free. We are so tied and constrained in so many ways. And it seemed like a good idea at the time, so there's no blame in this. But it is really time to start mm, figuring out how to extricate yourself from those things that are confining you. Begin to shift your life so that you do feel free, so that you are free. You have agency to do the things you want. Get out of debt. That's huge. That's huge. And I know it's so seductive in so many ways. But getting out of debt is really a big piece. And that takes time. Putting hands in the dirt. Really reconnecting to the planet in a very real way. Noticing what it takes to make other life thrive. Create space to observe nature, to watch, see what she does. Notice the changes. Notice the relationships. It takes time. It's not a five or ten minute journey. Plan to be in nature and do nothing. Not walk. <laughs> Just sit and see what you learn. See who comes. Experience that interbeing. Notice when those relationships happen. 
feel when those relationships happen, when you are being noticed by other life and you notice other life as well. Notice that exchange because in that exchange, you are both creating new possibilities in each of your worlds. That's what interbeing is all about. Alan Watts said, life is an invitation to dance. The way of liberation makes it very clear that life is not going anywhere because it is already there. In other words, it is playing. And those who do not play with it have simply missed the point. We can play with life, even if it's serious play. And if we can learn to do that now before we have to, we will be so much farther ahead. Thanks for spending the time with me. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening. I'm so appreciative of your joining me on this journey. To go deeper, check out the Coming Home Project community. The link is on the podcast webpage and on my own webpage, bridge2partnership.com. It's time to take action and become a regenerative leader. There's more information on the webpage and in the Coming Home Project community network. You can support my work through donations on my podcast page or by joining my Patreon page. I'm open to questions and messages, so please connect. Let's be sure to leave your name so that I can reference you when I respond. Thanks so much for being here. It's the moon, Mother Nature, taking over. It's the moon, Mother Nature, taking over.